Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. All of us gathered here in the room, those of us gathered online, we're glad that you're here. And we like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a very long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, that the Lord meets us right here, right now, right where we are. So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. Thank you, God, that we don't have to go looking for you, but you have come looking for us. In your son, Jesus Christ, you entered right into the messiness of our reality, and you shined your light into our darkness. You brought healing to our brokenness. You brought life where we had brought death. And God, today we are grateful for the chance to to sing to you and pray to you, to listen to your spirit speaking through the scriptures, to gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. Uh, God, we pray that today you would help us to to focus in on you, Uh, not leaving anything behind, God, but bringing all of it to you recognizing that you are the God who has grace to give us for all the circumstances that we face. Thank you, God. We are so grateful for your love, for your, for your presence, for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, if you're able, interested, let's stand and let's sing as we begin. Good morning. I'm so glad you could join us this morning. The deepest level of worship is praising God in spite of the pain, thanking God during the trials, Trusting him when you're tempted to lose hope and and loving him when he seems so distant and far away. At my lowest, God is my hope. At my darkest, God is my light. At my weakest, God is my strength. At my saddest, God is my comforter. Join us in worshiping this morning. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. My story isn't over, my story's just begun. And failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. No failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. burdens down Ooh, here in the father's house check your shame at the door cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, you're in the father's perfect you just wanted my heart and the story isn't over if the story isn't good failure's never final when the father's Father's house. 
Love is on the move when the Father's in the room. Prison doors fling wide, the dead come to life. Love is on the move when the Father's in the room. Miracles take place, the cynical find faith. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Jericho walls are quaking. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with a shield of love.
not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal.
pray with me, will you? Lord, we are so thankful this morning for that rugged cross. Thank you for the reminder, Father, of the sacrifice that you made for us so that we could be redeemed and sanctified, set apart for your use, set apart to serve you, to be holy, Father. Lord, I thank you for that reminder this morning. I thank you for inviting us into your presence here, for being here with us, because you have promised us where we gather together, two or three even, you will be here. Father, I, I thank you for each and every person that has joined us here in this building this morning. For those who are watching online or who will watch later, Lord, may this morning be a blessing to each and every one. May our hearts and our ears hear from you today the word that you've given to Pastor Rich. It's for a reason and it's not by accident. And so, Lord, we're trusting that you have something for us this morning. I thank you, Father, for even for the burdens that we've brought in with us this morning. For those places where our relationships are broken or our, our health is, is compromised, Lord, or where just we're just struggling, Father. I thank you that there's a cross where we can lay them at your feet, knowing that you are already redeeming each circumstance, each burden. Lord, we don't have to carry it, not by ourselves. You have promised you would do that for us, and I thank you, Father, for that. I praise you, Lord, for each and every one of your blessings. Even amidst some of the trials we may be facing, Lord, you have never stopped blessing us. You have never stopped giving us good gifts. I thank you for that, Father. Again, be with us the rest of this service. Be with Pastor Rich as he brings us your message for us. May we go away from here, Lord, transformed, even in a small way, different than what we were when we came in because we have been with you. We pray all these things, Lord, giving you all the glory, all the honor, and all the blessing because you alone are worthy of all. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Take a few minutes. Pass the peace amongst yourselves as Pastor Rich comes to bring us the announcements in the word. All right. <laughs> I don't know if those of you joining us online can hear the... Uh, the beautiful sound in the room of conversation. It's a good, good thing. It's good to be a part of a church where people are, are not just friendly, but actually care about each other and how they're doing. And uh, Yeah, I, I love that. I love that about being a part of this church. So uh, today, by the way, is a special opportunity to continue that conversation over breakfast because after this service is over, we're going to have breakfast together. Uh, Howard and a crew of guys are putting the finishing touches on it back there in the kitchen. And as soon as this service is over, they'll be serving it to us right back in the back. That's why we don't have the usual snacks and stuff out, just some like coffee and stuff, because they're going to be serving us a whole lot more than that right after the service ends. I hope you'll stick around and enjoy some of that food and continue the conversation you were just in the middle.
middle of, and, uh, and get to see some of the folks that usually come at the 1030 service as well. That'll be, that'll be a good thing. Uh, you can see on the screens that uh, we would love to connect with you. Uh, you can go to livinghope.info slash connect if you want. Uh, if you're joining us online, that's the easiest way to do that, or uh, you can grab your smartphone and, and jot us a note right there. Uh, you can see on the, on the back of this week's handout, we've started uh, once again uh, reminding you of ways you can pray for each other, because some of you have been, uh, been sharing that with us in the last week. So if there's something, some way that we can be praying for you, uh, or thanking God with you, let us know. And uh, on, I know on those little cards back there, if, if you don't use your phone, if you want to use one of those little green cards back there and drop it in the offering box, there's a little box you can check saying, yes, please share this with my church family. And if you, if you don't check that, we'll think, okay, this is private. They don't want this shared with anybody else. But if you do check that, then we're like, okay, it's all right to share that with other people and invite other folks to pray for them. Uh, so anyway, you can do that. You can drop it in the offering box. If you're giving today, you can drop that in there as well, or you can give online. Uh, that's all good. Thank you to all of you who give so faithfully. By the way, um, you guys help make ministry happen here day in and day out. Plus, you end up giving to special projects like uh, stuff through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries or uh, there's, a, there's a flyer out there. I don't have anything in your handout or on the screen, but there's a flyer out in the lobby you'll see that says Drywall Dare. It's got red and white and a picture of somebody working on drywall. Our, our district that we're part of with the Church of the Nazarene, the Northwest Indiana District, is trying to come up with $14,000 to pay for drywall uh, down in eastern Kentucky with some of the flooding that took place there. So if you'd like to be a part of that, um, you can let us know, like, hey, put this gift toward the drywall thing. Uh, you can make a check out to, I forget who, it's on the poster out there, uh, but uh, there's someone specific you can make a check out to if you're writing a check, or if you're putting something in an envelope, you can write on the envelope, or if you're giving online, you're just going to have to, you know, email us or something and say, hey, that, you know, 20 bucks I put in, can you put that toward the drywall, and we'll, and we'll get that note, and we'll make sure that that, that, that happens. Um, Oh, by the way, uh, there is one other thing happening today, an opportunity for you. Uh, there's some volunteers from the community that if you are not registered to vote, there, there's a table out there. There's a couple of ladies, Carolyn and Sharon. They would be happy to help you make sure, make sure your voter registration's up to date or whatever. Make sure that you're registered to vote uh, because uh, we want you to participate in this beautiful democracy that we're a part of. So if you need help with that, they'd be happy to talk with you uh, about what that looks like. And... Uh, I think that's just about it. Oh, there is a bike giveaway coming up this Saturday right out in the parking lot. If you know somebody that, uh, that needs a bike or if you have a bike to give away, you can, you can bring that Saturday 9 to noon right out here in the parking lot. They'll be here to, to give away bikes. It's a beautiful partnership we've got there. And a great partnership with this Unity Cafe that happens here Wednesdays 11 to 3, Fridays 4 to 8. Uh, Sam serves a dinner here every night, uh, every Friday night at 5.30. And uh, I know some of you have taken advantage of that. That's a good thing. So if you want to be a part of that, especially if you want to help provide a meal, uh, Sam would be happy to talk with you about how to make that happen. So we've been in this uh, series of messages on uh, Bible stories that, uh, that we heard as kids, maybe, maybe, or maybe not. Uh, but they're the kinds of Bible stories you see in a kid's Bible that uh, sometimes we haven't revisited in a while. Because, you know, it's in the back of our heads and we, we kind of know it, right? And so uh, we don't need to, we, we don't go back and, and reread it or revisit it. Because we're just like, oh yeah, I know that story. You know, there was Noah and the Ark and the Rainbow and all that good stuff. Or there was uh, Joseph and his you know, Technicolor dream coat. We looked at that one last week. Uh, today we're looking at the one that, you know, uh, the guy gets swallowed by the, the giant fish and because uh, he was on the island with all the people and turned into a donkey or something like that. I forget. Does it want to be a real boy? Wait, I'm mixing my stories up. That's, uh, that's Pinocchio, I think. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to kind of mix those up sometimes. Uh, there's a story in the Bible, a story of a guy named Jonah, one of the prophets, that uh, includes this miraculous fish story, right? And uh, Jonah is an unusual book. 
Um, it's, he's nestled right in there with these other, we call them minor prophets because they're very short little books. It's not like Elijah or Isaiah. Uh, Elijah's not a book, sorry, he's in the king's books. But anyway, it's not like Isaiah, Jeremiah, these long prophetic books. They're all these little short ones that you can read like in a day or less. I listened to Jonah this morning in the shower. I turned my Bible app on as I was getting in and told it to start reading, and, and I, it finished before I was done. I started listening to Micah all of a sudden because uh, it moved on to the next one. And when it did that, it reminded me how weird Jonah is as a book of the Bible. Because most of those little prophet books, they start out just saying like, well, in Micah's case, like, there was this guy named Micah, and the word of the Lord came to him, and here's what he said. And it's all about the message of the prophet being sent to the people of Israel, being sent to, uh, sometimes to the neighboring nations. But the, the whole book is like, here's the message that God gave to this prophet for these people at this time. Jonah, the, the whole message that Jonah preaches is like one sentence long in this book. And the other three and a half, four chapters of Jonah are his story, which is really weird. Um, and it's an unusual story because uh, the guys that you think are going to be the good guys uh, are the bad guys. And the people you expect to be the bad guys are, end up turning good. Um, it, it's, some people have said it's kind of like a satire because you've got these characters of people that you think, oh, I know who they are. And then it all gets flipped on its head. Uh, so Jonah is an unusual story that I think God sent to his people just the right time when they needed to hear this message. And I think it's a message that we need to hear today. Uh, I know last week as I was starting to introduce the story of Joseph, I said something about how this connects back with, um, with what Jason had said the Sunday before, and then I realized mid-sentence, like, oh, no, wait, that's the story of Jonah that connects with it, not the story of Joseph. Today's story connects back. If you, if you go back and if you were here two weeks ago uh, when Jason was here with the teens and talking with the, the graduates and all of that and the message that he brought, uh, this kind of flows around on the heels of that. Or if you want to go back and listen to it, uh, you might see the connection later. Because Jonah's story is, uh, is a story meant for a time where, where people were at odds with each other. Where, uh, especially where the people of God had people out there that they felt like were the enemies and weren't quite sure how to feel about that. Um, so let's, I, I'm honestly just going to read the whole story of Jonah to you today, because it's so short, all right? Uh, like I said, I'm gonna, it, I got through it like in the time I was taking my shower this morning. And I, I don't take short showers, but I don't take super long showers, all right? Just normal shower length, I think. Uh, I, but I couldn't fit it all in your notes. I think we've got it all on the screen, but it's not all in the piece of paper you've got. But really, like, it's short. So it starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, if you don't know, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was an enemy of the people of Israel, especially at this time. And so Jonah is being told, go to the capital city of your enemy, the people who have been at war against you, the people who maybe just uh, came over and, you know, there's been all this fighting now and maybe you've lost a cousin or a family member in these battles. And uh, I want you to go and preach against them because its wickedness has come up before me. God's saying, I have noticed the wickedness of these people. And so now I'm sending you to proclaim destruction. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now we don't really need to know where Tarshish and Joppa are. All we need to know is Jonah was running away from God, going the opposite direction of where God had told him to go. And so what does God do? It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. And that's where I had to do the dot, dot, dot thing in your notes, so you can look at the screen. 
But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. I should probably pause and just mention. So here we've got, right, the good guy, Jonah, the prophet of God. The book's named after him, and he's running from God. Gets on a boat, he's in the, going the other way, and God sends a storm. The sailors are freaked out. It says, uh, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. So they're all, what did it say? They were each crying out to their own gods. These, are, these aren't like Christians, you know? Nobody's a Christian. This is a story that happens before Jesus. You know, Jesus hasn't shown up on the scene yet. But these guys are what today we might call, I don't know, what, pagans? Or, you know, they're, they're, they worship other gods, follow other religions. And each of them, wherever they're from, the way things worked in those days, usually the town you grew up in or the area you were from kind of had its own god, right? They were kind of tribal deities. And many times they had, like, kind of specialties, right? And so you had uh, the god who was really good at growing crops. And so you'd pray to that god uh, that your crops would grow. Or there'd be a god who really helped you if you were dealing with fertility issues, whether for yourself or your cattle. And so you might pray to that god about fertility issues. And there were different gods over different things and different gods from different regions. And so they're all praying to whatever god they can think of. And they're saying to him, hey, you call on your god. Maybe he'll take notice so that we don't all die. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And casting lots was basically like a dice or drawing straws. It was to... It would kind of narrow things down. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? They're like, something about you is causing this problem, we think. Who are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're from the, the people, the, you worship the God who created the sea? And it says, they, they, they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. You, you answer to the God who created the sea and you're running from him on our ship. We're all going to die because you're upsetting the God who made the sea? Come on, man. You know, the sailors are terrified. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Like, God seems to be after you, so what do we do to you? And he answers, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And so you would expect, right, these pagan sailors probably talked like sailors, probably, you know, who knows what they're, these pagans, you'd probably think like, okay, great, let's do it. But instead, it says, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They're trying not to kill the guy. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. I kind of wonder what that would have looked like, right? You know, like... They threw him overboard, and like, did the sea get calm, like as Jonah's in the air, you know? Or, you know, as, as Jonah goes down, when they do, finally don't see him anymore, that like then the, gradually the, the sea calms down? All we know, raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So the bad guys here in chapter 1, the sailors, the pagans that worship other gods who don't worship the right God, they do their best to do the right thing, and now at the end, they... They're fearing the Lord and, and offering sacrifices, making commitments to God. 
Now, the fear of the Lord uh, phrase is one that appears lots of times in Scripture, and it can be kind of goofy for us because we hear that and we think, like, oh, they're terrified of God, um, which I guess maybe would be a part of it. But when I hear that phrase, what I think of is, like, they have a, a healthy respect for the power that's at work here, right? Just like I wouldn't say I'm afraid of electricity, but I have a healthy respect for the power present in the wires in my walls, right? Um, I'm not afraid of COVID or whatever, but I have a healthy respect for the damage it can do, right? So this fear of the Lord thing is a way of saying they suddenly realize, okay, God is in charge. Man, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a healthy respect for the power that's present in this God of the Hebrews, this God who created the sea and the land. And they're offering sacrifices, making commitments to this God. The end of chapter 1 says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now in our kids' Bibles, this is all much shorter, right? Uh, Jonah runs from God, storm, they throw him overboard, he's safe in a fish, he prays in the fish, God has him, spit up the, the fish spit him up, he goes and he finally does what he's supposed to do, and, uh, uh, and everybody repents and everything's good, and yay, right? And then there's a, there's a fourth chapter that usually gets cut out. I was just looking at my kids' kids' Bible. Um, we've got a few of those lying around our house, you know, where it's mostly pictures and a few words at the bottom, and the story of Jonah's in there, and, and it's just Jonah chapter 1 through Jonah chapter 3. It stops before Jonah chapter 4, which I think is the point of the book that we're going to get to, all right? So Jonah chapter 2 is a prayer, and I didn't include much of it in your notes. Just says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. If you skip to the end, he says, what I have vowed I will make good, I'll say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I want to go ahead and read the, the eight verses in between, okay? It won't take long. So, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep, inside, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. So he's basically saying, I was dying. I was drowning. I was sinking down to the, the pit, to the bottom. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, in your Bible, if you read this in your Bible, it's, it's written like poetry. It, it has the form of like Hebrew poetry, which is a little different than our poetry. It doesn't rhyme and all that. Uh, but my guess is Jonah didn't spend those three days like composing a poem. All right. My guess is this is the kind of thing that was like an after-the-fact uh, recreation of whatever prayers were coming out of Jonah's mouth as he's sinking down, blub blub blub, into the you know into the ocean. Um, because when you're uh, in the middle of a fish's belly under the sea, I'm guessing you can't like get out your parchment and your quill and you know compose poem. Um, but you get the idea, right? I was dying. God, you saved me. I'm so grateful. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commands the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Another favorite part of mine when I was a kid. I loved the idea of fish puke in the Bible. All right. Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. 
Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. It's like a stunning little pair of sentences right there. And, and this story is not wasting any words. You know, He goes one day, begins just one day into like a three, if you're going to cover the whole city, it's like three days just to get across it. He's just one day in. And his message is basically the same message that like the sandwich sign guys have that you see in big cities, you know, standing on the sidewalk, the end is near, you know. And uh, maybe they got a bullhorn and they're shouting at people as they walk by. Maybe, you know, maybe they just got a, the end is near. It's like it, his message is pretty basic. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He doesn't tell them to repent. He doesn't tell them why. He doesn't say who the message is from. He just says 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, which is basically just really uncomfortable, you know, it's like the cloth, you paper cloth, put them like a sack, a sack of potatoes, right? Wear that. Itches. It's not pleasant. It's one of the things people would do in those days to show their sorrow, to express repentance. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Desperate times, desperate measures. The king's saying, everybody, even your animals, don't let them eat. Don't let them drink. Put the, you know, don't even put food down for the animals. None of us are going to eat. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to repent. We're going to show God how sorry we are. And maybe he'll have compassion. Maybe he will turn away from his fierce anger and not destroy us. I, and then so it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So... Yay! I can see why the kids' books end it right there. It's like the happy ending. It's also kind of utterly ridiculous, right? I mean, these are the, some of the most warlike, violent people of their day. A guy walks in with the end is near sign, and they all just say, whoa, we got to change, right? I'm just imagining, like any other, pro I'm, I'm imagining the sandwich sign guy walking through town with the end is near, and everyone that sees him, instead of just going, like they usually do, they see him and they say, the end is near? Oh, no, please, God, please forgive me, you know, and, and crying out in prayer, and, like, suddenly it's, like, everyone around him, like, ripple effects, and I can just imagine the sandwich guy side and looking, you know, looking around, and we're like, what, what, what happened here? Well, they're, they're all listening to me. It would just be stunning. I was suddenly thinking of other protest movements and people who, who you know, are trying to get their voices, are trying to get a message across, and, you know, for the most part, people don't listen, right? Um, do you remember, for some reason, what popped into my head was that whole Occupy Wall Street thing? Do you remember that a few years ago, where a whole bunch of folks uh, went to Wall Street and basically camped out and were speaking out against economic injustice and all the rest? And so I'm just imagining, like, the first one of those protesters shows up with their sign, and before the other people even got there, like, all of a sudden, some of those, you know, financiers and the, and the hedge fund managers are coming out of their buildings to see and say, wait, what? We've, we've been unfair to the... Oh, my goodness, you are right. I, I am so sorry. We've got to change. Hey, guys, guys, shut it down. Shut it all down. We're, we're doing this wrong. We've got to change something. You know, it just doesn't happen, right? That's, that's kind of how ridiculous this story is. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, and everyone, up to the king, to the lowest, everyone repents, and God 
turns from his anger and doesn't destroy it. So we had an, in chapter 1, Jonah encounters some, some pagans who worship other gods, and, and they all turn to God, right? Chapter 3, Jonah encounters a bunch of pagans, and they all would leave it out of mind, too, I think, uh, if I were creating one. So chapter 4 of Jonah, the very next words, after it says, God saw what they did, and they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened, the very next words are, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Jonah, who is standing in, in this book for the people of God, right? He's the only, he's the only one of the God's people that's present in this whole story, right? Everyone else is a sailor worshiping other gods or violent Ninevites who need to repent. Jonah's the only one standing in for, for like the people of God and their attitude toward other people. And, and here Jonah, as soon as God decides to forgive and not destroy them, he gets angry. He prayed to the Lord, much less poetically. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Man. Now, this is Jonah then he finally tells us why he ran, right? I mean, when you first read it, you don't really know why. It doesn't say. It just says, God said, go to Nineveh, and Jonah goes the other way, right? Never says why he's fleeing from the Lord, why he's refusing to do what God asked him to do. Now he explains it. I knew this would happen, God, because I know who you are. And he gives this description of God that God had given to his people. I, I put at the bottom of your notes some like for further reading. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, if you want to read that later. That's God appearing to Moses up on Mount Sinai as he's giving them the law. It's, it's written at the bottom of your notes there. I apologize online, I don't have this for you. But uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 is when God says this to Moses. He introduces himself to Moses as the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And Jonah says... I knew that that's what you're like. I know you, God. And I didn't want you to be gracious and compassionate to my enemies. I figured if they had a chance, they might repent. And if they gave you any opening, God, I knew that you're compassionate. You were, you were looking for a way to not destroy them. And so, God, I was hoping that maybe if I went the other way, you, know, you said their wickedness has come up before you. And, and so maybe, I figured maybe you would destroy them anyway if I didn't give them a chance to turn. That, that whole idea of God destroying people or whatever is one that I know might be kind of foreign to us, especially followers of Jesus, because Jesus doesn't go doing that sort of thing, right? Um, but we see this more in the Old Testament, especially as God is, is seeing like rampant wickedness and violence and people who are abusing other people, killing other people. And, and God kind of puts up with it for a while in the hopes that they will change. But eventually, God sides with the victims and puts an end to oppression, puts an end to violence. I mean, it's all through the prophets and, and the Psalms. Uh, looking forward to the day when God will cause all wars to cease and when God will bring an end to oppression and violence and the rest. And, and so this is an example of God being prepared to do that. It's like, if they don't change, I'm going to destroy them. But they repented. And so God re relented. It's not a word we use very often. So God decided not to destroy them. He was gracious and compassionate. 
God is looking for a way to forgive. He's never looking for a chance to destroy. And Jonah says, I knew this. I know what you're like, God. And I did not want you to forgive them. So take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. I'd rather die than see my enemies forgiven. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer, which is kind of terrible, right? It's like God's calling and you send him to voicemail or something. It's like God has asked you a question you should probably answer, and he just doesn't. It says Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Maybe he's thinking like, you know, God gave him 40 days. It's only, they've got 38 more. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll forget. You know, God's forgiven them right now, but maybe, who knows, maybe they'll get violent again and I'll finally get to see him destroyed. I don't know. He's waiting to see. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, and these are the final words of the book of Jonah, so I think this is kind of the point. The Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow, sprang up overnight, and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And the question is just left hanging, presented to the people of God in their scriptures. God asking his people's representative, asking his people, like, you care about a plant that was just, that you had nothing to do with, that was here for a day and then gone, and you, you care. You're like emotionally invested. You care about this plant. Should I not care about this people? And there's a contrast being made here, right? And so the idea is that God has, he, he says, Jonah, you didn't tend this, make it grow. It's just an overnight thing. Shouldn't I care about this people, this city full of people and animals, people who don't know? You know me, Jonah. You know what I'm like. These people don't know me. They don't know the right hand from their left. They don't know anything. Shouldn't I care about them? And the idea is like, I have been tending to this people. I've cared about this people. Just like God cares about us from before we ever turn to him, right? He said, I've cared about these people for, for longer than you've been alive, Jonah. I've been hoping, praying that they would turn to me, that they would turn from their violence, the violence they're doing to other people, the violence they're doing to themselves. I've been hoping that they would make a change. And now finally... Finally, they've, they've made a change. Should I not care? Should I not have concern? Should I not be compassionate and gracious to them? The question's left hanging for God's people. And I think that it's okay to let that question linger in our minds too. You know, God cares about our enemies. And I think kind of the part of that question is, well, so shouldn't we? Shouldn't we care about them? I mean, it's a natural thing for us when someone hurts us to want to hurt them back, right? That's what comes naturally. That's human nature. You know, someone hurts us, and so we hurt them back. And if we can't, we get angry. We get, you know, we, we've, we've got twin six-year-old boys, all right? We've been seeing it now for about six years. <laughs> we, we see it on a regular basis, right? One of them hits them, and I'm like, hey, no, don't do that. And, bef you know, and the other one already is hitting them back, you know? 
trying to help them learn not to do that, but still working on that, okay? That's what comes naturally. People hurt us. We want to hurt them. We get angry. We hate them. They are our enemy. It's, this is where the, kind of the connection with what uh, Jason was talking about a couple weeks ago, that we live in this time where it's, there are lots of lines drawn in the sand. There are lots of us and thems present in our world right now where it's very easy for us to point at them as the reason for all of our problems, as the, as the cause of all of our nation's ills, or the cause of all of my problems. If they just wouldn't do that, then we wouldn't have this problem. And to, to look out there and to not to, to see enemies. And we don't necessarily want God to be gracious to them. We want them destroyed <laughs> before they can have a chance to destroy us. And kind of the violent rhetoric keeps getting ramped up and up and up. And in contrast with that, we have stories like this that God gave to his people long before the time of Jesus, saying, God cares about everyone, not just about you. God cares about them, too. It's just so, like, ironic to me that it, in chapter 2, as Jonah is praying to God and thanking God for you, you rescued me, you saw me when I was sinking down to the pit, salvation comes from the Lord. And then chapter 3, salvation comes to the Ninevites. And Jonah says, well, not for them, right? Salvation for me, not for them. You can rescue me. You can give me a second chance. Don't give them a second chance. I mean, this was still going on in the time of Jesus. And that's why some of that further reading, then there's a whole bunch of stories from the New Testament. Jesus saying, blessed are those uh, who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. They're the people that are acting like God is. They're the people who are looking for peace. Later in, in Matthew chapter 5, where, where Jesus just explicitly says, you've, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. And I pointed you both toward Matthew's version in chapter 5 and Luke in chapter 6, where Jesus talks about loving enemies and, and praying for them and caring for them. Like God has cared for us. In Matthew chapter 18, um, that's uh, where Jesus tells a story about a servant, a king, who's settling debts. And, and there's one who owed him, I think it's like 10,000 bags of gold or something like that, or some, some enormous amount. And, and he pleads for mercy, and the king gives him mercy, and he raises his debt. And that servant turns around and finds somebody who owes him like 10 cents and starts to strangle him and says, pay me what you owe me. And he refuses to be merciful. And when the king gets word of it, he calls him back in and says, what, what, what is this? <laughs> I was merciful to you. You couldn't be merciful to, to him? Fine. You don't want mercy to be the way this world works? Fine. You can pay me what you owe me. John 15, Jesus says to his disciples, as I have loved you, you need to love each other. You know, God's been gracious to us. We need to be gracious toward others. Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul talks about, you know, when, when people wrong us, we can't wrong them back. We can't seek revenge. We can't be overcome by evil. We need to overcome evil with good. That's what God does here in the world. Sadly, sometimes this satirical work that we have in our Old Testament, in our scriptures, sometimes this is exactly what the world sees played out. When they look at God's people, I don't want them to say, like, yeah, you guys look like Jonah. <laughs> you, have, you like to have enemies. I, I want them to look at us and say, you guys look like Jesus. You, you're seeing, yeah, people who are trying to be your enemy, you keep looking for ways to love them. You keep looking for ways to bless them. You keep looking for ways for God's grace to encounter their lives so that 
so their lives can be changed, just like yours has been changed. Yeah. This is kind of the, the choice that's in front of us. Not an easy one by any means. I know because I've talked with you and I've lived the same life, right? I mean, talked with some of you about the, the harm that's been done to you and how difficult it is to even consider that God might forgive the people who hurt you so deeply. I gotta say, I'm glad that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness because he's been gracious and compassionate to me. So I want him to be gracious and compassionate to you too. And I want to reflect that grace and compassion to the world. Let's bow our heads and let's pray before we celebrate communion together. God, we are so incredibly grateful that you are who you are. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It's it's who you've always been. But God, the story of Jonah reminds us that this is not always like easy for us to come to grips with. We, we are glad that you're gracious toward us, but it is not easy for us to be glad when you are gracious toward our enemies, toward people who have hurt us, people we're used to pointing the finger at, getting angry about. Help us, God. Help us not to be like Jonah. May, may his story be kind of a wake-up call to us. If, if we see Jonah looking back at us in the mirror, God, please, would you continue to be gracious toward us? Would you help us? to have a change of heart so that we can reflect your grace and your compassion to the world. You have been so good to us, God. We celebrate this undeserved goodness, this grace you've given us. We celebrate this in the, in the sacrament of communion as we remember that out of love for us, you sent your son so that we wouldn't perish, so that we wouldn't be destroyed by our sins, but instead we might have eternal life We might find forgiveness and freedom set free from those antagonisms that that ruin us and ruin our relationships with others. Thank you, God, for this chance to, to celebrate your grace and love in a tangible, touchable way. We offer to you these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. Remembering again the great price that you paid so that we might experience your grace. Your word says that was when, when we were your enemies. That's when Christ died for us. Thank you, God, for loving us when we were your enemies. Help us now to turn around and love our own enemies. to to begin to see them not as enemies, but as people loved by you, as people deserving your grace just as much as we do. Thank you for being a God of second chances. We, We depend on that, God. We depend on your grace, each and every one of us. We offer you ourselves today, God, acknowledging that we are broken, that we have not loved you with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. We need your help if we're going to be your people, reflecting your grace and your love. So help us today, God. Forgive our sins. Wash us and make us clean. Be as gracious and compassionate as we know you to be. We need it, God. Thank you 
for inviting us to your table, for inviting us to celebrate the love you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, the band's going to come and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. As we sing, I'll be here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. And you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and then return to your seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today, who are grateful for his grace, who are hungry for his love. Uh, we've got the regular like pita bread, and then we've got some gluten-free wafers, and we've got the little cups that are like individually wrapped communion that you can take back to your seats if you'd like. Uh, or we've got some of those on the tables if you don't want to get so close to, uh, to come up front. But, uh, and those you can peel back and get to the bread and peel back and, and get to the juice. So, let's celebrate uh, all the good gifts that God has given us, the, the grace and love he's shown us in his son Jesus Christ. Oh, 
will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, oh, oh my soul. Worship his Thank you, God, for the grace, for your mercy that you have given to us and that you give us to share with others. Help us to be a people who reflect your mercy, your grace, your compassion, your love. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to celebrate together. And thank you for this opportunity to have a meal together. God, we pray you bless the food, bless those who prepared it, uh, bless our conversation. Just bless us all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, that's the blessing, so enjoy some food. Yeah. <laughs>